Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. This week, it's the Little Atoms Christmas Special, recorded at the QI headquarters in Covent Garden, with QI Head of Research, James Harkin, and the QI Elves, Anne Miller, Andrew Hunter-Murray, Anna Chizinski, and Alex Bell. So this is the Christmas edition of Little Atoms. I'm sat in the QI offices in Covent Garden again, and I'm joined initially by James Harking, who's... What's your title, James? You're the Chief Elf, the King of the Goblins. What is yeah, that? What's Chief that? Elf, I would say. Um, Chief Elf, you just... Chief Elf. <laughs> that is... Yeah, that was very Freudian. That's kind of what I am. No, I'm the, I'm the head researcher for QI, television show, and all the surrounding things, like the books and the podcast, etc. And I'm also... So, director of research and script editor of the TV show, and basically all-round researcher of odd things. So what we're going to do today is we're mainly going to be talking about the latest QI book, which is, how do you pronounce it? Is it 14... 14411 QI facts or yeah, we call it 1411. Yeah, we call it 1411 because we had 1227 a few years ago and that's how we pronounce that one, yeah. so it's kind of stayed that way. So 1411 QI facts to not use sideways, which everybody should rush out and buy for Christmas. It's a perfect Christmas stocking filler. There we are, we got that in early. And what we're going to do is I'm going to talk to James for a little bit about the book first of all, and then we're going to be joined by some more of the elves. And as it's Christmas, to make it easier for me, I'm just going to stick my finger into the book and pull out some random facts and and see if anybody can run with a bit more of a discussion on those facts. But first of all then, James, yeah, so why 1411? What's the significance? Um, There is no significance of that number. That's significant. It was chosen for its lack of significance. Um, We started off trying to do a book called 1000 QI Facts three years ago, and we got to 1000 and kept going and kept going and ended up at 1227, which was equally insignificant. (laughs) And... The next one had to be more, so we went, had to go for 1,300 and something. So we went for 1,339 QI facts, which actually this last week was number 1,339 best-selling book in the UK, which is a nice coincidence. Uh, and we had to go up another 100 again this year, and 1,411 felt like the lowest number we could get away with. <laughs> <laughs> because an extra 100 facts is a heck of a lot of extra work. And, yeah, I was going to say, um, how far could you actually push that in 10 years' time the book's going to be like? Like, you want me to pick it up? 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I'll probably be in my grave, I think, if I had to do that many. I think we'll, we might cap it. If we do another one next year, maybe we won't go quite so high. So what's seemingly daft question, what's a fact? This book is in a, in a certain format, so how do you define what a fact is? Well, a fact has to be, it has to be short. Uh, it has to tell something that you didn't know already. Ideally, we'll have some kind of extra knowledge behind it so it will be a sentence it will make you think it will make you realize that actually there's a little bit more to the world than you thought Mm. and yeah it's supposed to be just a very it's kind of it's the quantum measurement of qi so um we have all of our different things that we do tv and radio and podcasts and whatever um, but the absolute basic sort of plank qi is a fact and it doesn't get smaller than that for us how do you think readers will consume this and by that i don't mean you know sitting on the toilet. I mean, what do you expect that sentence to sort of to inspire it? Well, you're probably not far wrong from sitting <laughs> on the toilet. Um, it is something that you can kind of dip into whenever you like. You can, you can just pick it up and find another page and you'll see something that you haven't seen. Surprising number of people tell me they read it from cover to cover, mm-hmm. uh, which I find really surprising. But it does read like that, so each one follows on from the previous one. Yeah, they're one. sort of linked, aren't they? They are, yeah. in a very vague way, and they're supposed to read kind of like haikus or koans. They're supposed uh-huh. to read like you know, da-da-da-da, boom, and another fact. But I think really we have extra um, stuff on our website. If people go onto our qi.com website, there are extra bits of information. They'll give you, we'll give you the links, we'll give you the citations. And the hope is that people will be interested enough by the single facts to go and read more about things. And that's kind of what QI is. It's all about trying to get people. We feel that everything is kind of interesting if you look at it enough and, and we feel like you know, getting as much information is just one of those human instincts that everyone wants to learn as much as possible. And we hope that we can inspire that a little bit. But at the end of the day, sitting on the toilet reading facts, if that's the way you want to do it, then great. Let's go right back to the start of the process of this book. Then let's talk about how it how it sort of comes together. How the how they researched. Uh, okay. Well, um, I currently have my file for the next book. If we do another book, it's a Word file. It's a Word document, and I, uh, every day, am reading all the magazines you can think of. I read them every week. Um, I have my RSS feed with loads and loads of blogs of the internet. Uh, We have all the latest books that are published. We try and get to read as many as we can as a group. And as soon as you see a fact, you jot it down, and then eventually you have a file full of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them, Mm. and then it's all about rewording them to make them sound a bit better and putting them in a decent order and sort of checking, making sure that things that you just read once actually are as true as you hope they are. And then, yeah, we end up with a book. And then from me, I will do that. I'll gather all of these together. Uh, I'll pass it through John Mitchinson and John Lloyd, who are my uh, co-authors, and they will turn it into something which is a lot better than just a list of facts, mm-hmm. which is because I'm kind of the, I'm at the mind face finding all these things, along with along with my fellow elves, who you can, people at home, you can see them, they're all beavering away in the other room. I can see them. People yeah. Can see them. <laughs> um, but so, they will be hearing them in a bit. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so myself and the elves are at the mind face trying to find all the facts, and then they're polished by John Mitchinson and mm-hmm. ordered by John Lloyd. So how, let's think about, say we've got, I don't know what, a magazine, New Scientist or something, which yeah. seems like an, an obvious one to choose. But then, you know, there's obviously a lot of stuff in there that isn't facts. How do you sort of, like, 
It's like sort of mining. You've described it as mining already. How do you how do you find the fat? Is it just something that you get good at? Or is yeah, it, is it, it is. I've been doing it for ten years mm-hmm. now, so you do kind of get used to what to look for. Um, we're actually we have an article in the Christmas edition of New Scientist this year. We have a couple of pages on there, and one of the pages will be a quiz of things that I learned from reading all episodes of New Scientist this year. Mm-hmm. So. It's quite interesting. You'll you'll have a massive, massive thing about quantum physics and you'll think, well, okay, that's quite difficult science, quite difficult science. And then you'll just see one sentence and think, oh, hello. It really is kind of, you just get used to it. You know what makes a good fact. You know what people will find interesting. If you find it interesting, they will. And it's just, it's something that piques your interest and then it hopefully you'll think it'll pique someone else's as well. I would say that's the best way of doing it really. And often comparisons are quite good. So if you find something which is, um, you know, X particle is this size, mm-hmm. then someone else might not have done that comparison before, but you can then go away and think, well, what else is that size? If I multiply it by a thousand, what will that give mm-hmm. me? If I, you know, if I put it in a building, what will that give me? That kind of thing. So actually a lot of the facts in, in our books, if you buy a fact book, you'll find a lot of the same old things. Um, same old facts, a lot of them aren't true. And once you've bought three or four, you'll start seeing the same ones again and again. But with ours, hopefully, most of them you won't have heard before. Uh, we hope all of them, but most of them. And some of them will be unique to us. Like We will have worked out something ourselves and then put it in there. And of course, that's, that's the point of QI, right? The, the, this idea of what people would think of a book of facts commonly known like sort of received wisdom facts are almost always wrong that is definitely true i mean it's 1411 facts in here um the number that we reject due to either definitely being not true or we just can't quite nail it Mm. or whatever there's hundreds extra that we've that we've had to lose over the years i wish i could think of some examples but i can't on the top of my head but yeah but more w- wider than that, then, let's talk about perhaps why that is. In the introduction to this book, you talk about this idea of the lifespan of a, of a fat, like uh, half, the half-life, the half-life yeah. of a fat. Um, so this was um, the half-life thing. The first time we heard about that was there was a book, I think, off the top of my head, I think it was called Samuel Anneman or something like that, mm-hmm. but I might have to check that. Uh, and he wrote a book called The Half-Life of Facts, and he said that if you take any kind of subject, say... Um, say biology for instance uh, things will change enough over time that either the fact will become outright wrong or it will have been superseded by new research Mm -hmm. and he did the study by looking at papers and seeing how often they were cited in the medical literature and he worked that out and we found it to be quite true ourselves we found that over the years if you look at our Uh, research from 10 years ago you can see i know that that's not right anymore i know that that's i know a new animal's been discovered that's like this so for instance the um the world's largest earwig has just gone extinct that's Mm. the saint helena earwig so in any of our old in our old research where we said this was the world's largest earwig it's not anymore i'd love to know which is the world's largest if anyone knows because i can't work out which was (laughs) which used to be the second largest and which now is the largest so presumably there was a second largest one. There was, ends. but I think what happens is people just aren't as interested in the yeah. second of something. So there's not as much research. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I have a few. I have a few ideas of what it might be. I think there's there's one in Australia which is pretty big, but I'm yet to yet to prove it. Finally, before we get the other guys in and start diving into the facts, I just wanted to briefly talk about 
the podcast, which has yes. started this year. No Such Thing as a Fish, which is a fantastic podcast. I highly recommend it. And it's been an absolutely phenomenal success, hasn't it? Yes, it has, unbelievably to us, <laughs> considering how shambolic it was at the start. We've been going since, I think, March now. And a few weeks ago, we were named the best new podcast of 2014 by iTunes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have more than half a million subscribers. We've had you know, six million uh, individual listens and it seems like people really like it and it's just us talking about what we do every day which is reading through things, finding facts and then just chatting about them and people seem to find it interesting, which is great. So you're surprised at how quickly it's taken? Yeah, we're very surprised. We can't, even now, every week we're still refreshing and refreshing and seeing how many listens we've Uh had and we can't believe it goes so high. And I think it's just, you know, testament to the fact that people are interested in this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. People are interested in trivia and and knowledge and, and learning as much as they can and our uh, listener base appears to be quite young for instance mm-hmm. um, a lot younger than our viewers on QI so it seems like it doesn't matter how old you are where you live people from around the world everyone seems to really just enjoy learning things and it is I mean it obviously has the QI brand yeah, there, there behind it but it is it's a sort of behind the scenes thing which is obviously of interest to people but also it's irreverent as well I think which is it's not it's not quite as it's a bit you know yeah. I mean QI is irreverent itself but I think the podcast is, is takes that even further it is well it's for people who genuinely like each other yeah. we're, we're genuinely friends so we just imagine you and four of your friends if you just sat around chatting it does get irreverent at times mm. it does get a little bit kind of knob gaggy but you know well what can you say it is <laughs> that's fair enough a few knobcasts quite sensible. Yeah. You've just recently started doing some live shows, including one I'm insanely jealous of, which was the one in the <laughs> Atomium in, in Brussels. Yes, that was unbelievable. We've done a few live shows now. We're doing another one uh, just before Christmas in uh, Tufnell Park, and we hope to do quite a few next year. Um, but the one you're talking about was organised by a friend of ours called Levin Skyra. He's a, they call him the Belgian Stephen Fry, so that's how we got in touch with him. Uh, he's a great guy, a really funny guy. Uh, and he invited us over to his enormous silver balls <laughs> to do a podcast. And um, it seems like we had quite a few people in Belgium who were really interested in it as well. And it was, a, I mean, it was just the most surreal experience, as you can imagine. It's... <laughs> For people who nine months ago were putting podcasts out where all the audio was all over the place, you mm-hmm. couldn't hear what one person was saying, the other person was loud, we've really learned on the job, mm-hmm. as it were, and to have gotten to the stage where we're doing such big gigs, is it's quite surreal, really, uh, and we're just really happy that people are still listening and still enjoying it. I think that's that's the beauty of the show, though, because it is, you know, you did say, let's set up a podcast, let's just start this thing from scratch, and learn on the job in that sort of way when you when you could have been sat around and you know Dan's a you know a radio producer you could have yeah. been sat around an expensive studio in the BBC you yeah to. you are right to say we do have we're very lucky amongst podcasters in that we have this behemoth of QI behind us so we managed to have that kickstart at the at the beginning um, but yeah it really it's honestly exactly what we say it is which is people sat around chatting that's that's all it around is around this very table uh, that we're sat around exactly yeah <laughs> and we just the QI, um, the QI elves are always trying to come up with new, different ideas. Um, the books came out of that kind of thing. So the podcast does as well. It's just we're, we're trying new formats all the time. We're trying new ways of getting our material out there. And the podcast just came from that. I'm Irving Finkel, and you're listening to Resonance FM. And this is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. <laughs> Thank you.
You're listening to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. It's the Little Atoms Christmas special and I'm in the QI offices and you've been listening to me talk to James Harkin. Now I've been joined by four of the uh, QI elves. So we've got Anne Miller, Andrew Hunter-Murray, Anna Chizinski and Alex Bell with us. And as I said at the beginning, we're going to literally just throw out a load of facts and see if they uh, see if they actually know their stuff as well as they as well as they claim to but to ease us into it at the beginning of the book where it lists the three authors James Harkin John Lloyd and John Mitchinson it mentions that they all have a favorite page in the book so I've chosen one fact from each of those three pages uh, to start you're with. assuming that I didn't just choose that arbitrarily yes I am <laughs> assuming you did choose it arbitrarily which I thought would make it make it funny but um, okay, so the V&A Museum has a 1,500-year-old pair of socks designed to be worn with sandals. James, you start us off, as that was supposedly one of your favourite facts. <laughs> what I like about that fact, I think, and what I like about QI research in general, is that that is a fact about shoes. And shoes are just such a boring, non-entity object, and so are socks. And the idea that we can say something which actually you listen to that and you go, oh, that is quite amusing, you know, how fashion changes over not just decades, but millennia. Yeah, I, I really like what I liked about that page is all the facts are about shoes, shoes and socks of mm-hmm. some sort. And it's just the complete random nature of, of it being such a lame subject, but we can still hopefully make it interesting. So 1500 years. So what's that? What when's that? What's the period? Yeah, olden days. Olden days. <laughs> olden days. Yeah. Just general olden days. So in in olden days, then obviously wearing socks with sandals is more acceptable. It, it appears that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, they. It's pro- acceptable now. Is it? I think it's quite fashionable. I mm. saw a girl wearing sandals and socks the other day, actually, in winter on the tube. A fashionable saw, girl? Well, I only saw her feet, so I don't know. It was very crowded. How did you only see her feet? It was very crowded <laughs> on the tube. It's, it's, become, it's so unfashionable, it's now become fashionable. Yeah, it's a hipster thing. Yeah, so you, yeah. you can... People you, wearing. You can buy socks which have a sandal design on them. Oh, wow. So even if you're just wearing your socks. Actually, I don't know. It may have been sandals that look like you're wearing. My brother bought the socks, and my mum made him promise to never wear them outside the house. I think that seems a reasonable reasonable request to make. We're recording this on Christmas jumper day, aren't we? Um, Which is the day when everyone goes into work wearing the Christmas jumpers and pays money to charity. As you can see, none of us are. None of us. Six 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 people around the table. I'm close, but it's a bit festive. My shirt's a little bit festive, but it it was coincidental. I didn't know it was Christmas jumper. I've got a Gryffindor jumper. It's better than a Christmas jumper. You can get... I saw a guy with a Christmas jumper yesterday in Tesco where it's a picture of Father Christmas on it and then for his stomach you can stuff it and so it looks like he's got a really fat stomach. It's basically the coolest item of clothing I've ever seen. So that's the shoplifter. Yeah, I was going to say, you can go with that shopping yeah. bag. You can go yeah. to Tesco's and do your shopping. And yeah, it just gets faster and faster. And, and more and more stretched. Yeah. It reminds me of that wearing. thing that we mentioned on the podcast that Anna found, which was a... Um, it was a beer belly which you could actually fill with beer. And then you'd have a straw come into your mouth and you could drink the beer and as you drank it, your beer you belly would... You got thinner and thinner exactly. and more and more attractive. That's yeah. how it went on. Ironically, the more and more you use that, the fatter you'll get. Yeah. <laughs> 
that fact is really similar to, and I don't know if I've mentioned this before. So I like it because it's like something. It's just the idea of something that we associate with being really modern, wearing socks and sandals, that actually just happened a long time ago. And the oldest pair of trousers discovered was in China, and I think they're eight thousand years old. And the style of them is, you know, those ones Justin Bieber wears with like that go in at the bottom. And they have a really low crotch, really low hanging crotch. Yeah. And the oldest pair of trousers is exactly like <laughs> the Justin Bieber trousers of today. Well, it could be that people. People in you know eight thousand years ago in China had enormous testicles, so they needed that gap. <laughs> and that's true of Justin Bieber as well, right? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, this always happens. Yeah, I'm very sorry. This is what I'm hoping. Um, but the other thing about the shoes is, if you look at Roman uh, sandals, I'm, I think I'm right in saying this: you would have a left sandal and a right sandal because mm. obviously it's more comfortable. But in the Middle Ages, actually, that kind of disappeared, and you would stop having uh, left and right shoes, and then it only came back again in around the I'm going to say 12th century, but I'm just making that up. But it, you know, <laughs> the olden did, days. In the olden <laughs> days, yeah. But it did, you know, for quite a long time, they stopped having left and right shoes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, just make in these dark ages when we forgot how to do loads of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. If it's like just like a leather or something, I guess it doesn't matter, does it? Yeah, as long as they're square-toed at the end, yeah. it doesn't make any difference. That's it. the last, isn't it? It's what it's called the um, the mold on which you make mm. it, the sole of the shoe. Yeah, the last is the thing where you can go to like a, a cobbler's and they have them like personalised. Yeah. Anyway, Although, next fact. Is a cobbler's... Which one? A cobbler's is a shoe fixer, right? Oh, okay. Cordwainer yeah. is the person who makes shoes. Cordwainer. I've never heard that before. It was in the first book, so you should have read it. Can <laughs> 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 you replaced by one for one one new <laughs> This is the funny thing, isn't it? Even just someone who's a viewer of QI, it seems like most of the knowledge that I have in my head, I'll think, oh, yeah, there's this... And I'll think, oh, yeah, that was on QI, <laughs> wasn't it? You know, that was on QI. Well, not unique to you. It very much happens with me as well. That, but you oh, work on the I've got this well. great thing for a question. It turns out it was in the B series. Of, yeah. yeah. Actually, you know what? I don't think it was in the book. I think it was. It was something that well, came up as would, a result of it. We talked about cobblers, and then we. Would you yeah. like to maybe retract that slur? Andy knows all of our facts. I think it was. It was something that came out of another one. We were looking I at cobblers, so. and then we realised that cobblers aren't what we thought cobblers were. So it was a fact that came out of a fact. It'll be in the next fact. Yeah. Yeah. One five. Something. Right. Five thousand nine hundred. Moving swiftly on to the next. <laughs> the next fact. Um, and this is one of the ones that I, I, it's, this is so amazing I can't believe it because I can't believe this is not in more general knowledge if it's true okay but this is from um, John Richardson's favourite page and it says medieval English surnames included crackpot half naked sweating bed and golden bollocks Really, come on. This yes. is just so a James fact, yeah. isn't it? You love weird names. Is that your fact? I think it's one of mine, actually. What? Yeah. What I really like to do is find lists of um, very long lists of objects or people or whatever and try and find the rudest sounding <laughs> yeah. ones in a list. I love doing that. But yeah, this you, was Andy's, I think. Yes, but so, having said that, I can't remember anything more about it. <laughs> um, I read a book about surnames which had a list of extraordinary surnames and one of the chapters was a, an entire history of a village from the perspective of... Mm. It's surnames. It was very strange. Yeah, and it was. I don't know how you get these names because some of them, you know, Peter Short is because there, you had an ancestor who was short. Or but how could Golden Bollocks get the name? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> very proud. Well, it's the David Beckham of his time, maybe. Yeah, which is interesting because obviously that's become back into. So that's obviously a phrase that people people do. Yeah. it's not something that's just been invented for. Beckham, has it? But they've all disappeared, obviously. There's nobody called... I don't know. No one claiming to be called. But that actually does happen with uh, modern-day surnames. So Mm. you would have people called 
So, in, for instance, uh, where I come from in Lancashire, we have a lot of people called Nutter, uh, especially in the Blackburn area. It's quite a common surname. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people have started losing that surname now yeah. because it has negative connotations. And that's happened all over the country. You can see where certain... In mm. Cornwall, for instance, you might have more of this kind of name, but the ruder ones are all starting to, mm-hmm. to go. My friend Susan Terrorist has had to change hers. <laughs> <laughs> names that meant stuff that doesn't know so what was that one that was it Fitzroy or Fitzwilliam that meant you were the illegitimate son of the king what was yes. that Fitz, Fitz yeah Fitzroy yeah. I think Fitz is the Fitz, thing that Fitz bit. if you had Fitz it meant you were illegitimate so you could translate yeah. that and make it ruder but obviously now that's like quite irrespectful yeah <laughs> alright last one of these the three favourite facts then which is from John Lloyd's page prison inmates in Chile have better mental health than the average American oh yeah Anybody want to uh, chip in with that? How do we know that? That's you know that's obviously somebody must have. <laughs> I don't know. How do you how do well, you quantify these things? It is interesting when you when people forge a new fact basically by thinking, hey, I don't think we've ever compared the average rates of mental illness among prison inmates in Chile, and just compare it to a load of other factors. So you can get really interesting things just by thinking, well, we've got this one fact, which is that whatever percentage have got mental illness in in mm-hmm. this one place. I wonder what it's like elsewhere. And then suddenly you've come up with these reams of new facts, you know. But I would be interested to know how they work that out because it might be, you know, how many of them are on medication or in therapy or something. And obviously that's Mm. a cultural and social thing in America. And it doesn't necessarily imply that, um, not that I'm questioning the fact, but if more people in America are on medication than people in prison in Chile, that's more says more about the availability of medication and mental health treatment, doesn't Mm. it? Yeah, I mean, it may well be that, you know, it's compulsory in in Chile prisons to to have some sort, be in some sort of programme or something. Yeah. Everyone's being treated in some way. I think what they did was they did a survey of Chilean prisoners, a thousand Chilean prisoners in 2013, uh, and they found that uh, 25% of them uh, had some kind of mental disorder, according to their survey, and the average number in America is slightly higher than that. So, yeah, it's difficult to compare. But also, Britain always comes out terribly in those like world happiness surveys, doesn't it? We always come out rushly because we work long hours and no one sees any sunlight. And we're always complaining. And we're always (laughs) moaning. Is it prisoners in Brazil that have been given knitting to do? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they shorten their sentence every like child's jumper they knit or something, don't they? (laughs) By a day. And, nice. and there, are, there are other ones that are they they they're all given exercise bikes and they're powering they're they're generating power for the city. And so you've just got all these prisoners sitting on bikes, kind of enslaved. Yeah, <laughs> but that's good. There was an old Victorian punishment called the crank, which was just a box with a handle, and you had to turn the handle something like three thousand times a day. It was mm. really really hard work. It didn't generate any electricity. Yeah, it was, it was a thing. It did nothing. It was <laughs> just a crank to a steam engine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, nothing. I think the first ever treadmill might have been in a prison as well. I really Really? And I think it might have been in the Panopticon, which um, was the Jeremy Bentham yes. one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's where the first ever treadmill came, and then it only became an exercise thing later on. I'm sure it's a joke in The Simpsons. They have a massive crank that just turns eight really hard to turn, and it's just powering the rotating cake. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm Molly Oldfield, and this is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture.
You're listening to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. It's the Little Atoms Christmas special, and I'm in the QI offices. But this is vaguely related fact to that one, perhaps, you know, related to how these sort of figures are derived. One in nine Honduran men will be murdered. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas. (laughs) Yeah, Honduras has the highest murder rates in the world, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, or it's up there anyway. So this is like a statistic, you know, it's, it's taking the, the, the number of people that are, that are murdered against the, the, yeah. the population it of men. It sounds like something we would have read in, in um, the week or in uh, The Economist. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Or something like that but um, if you want to find out where any of these facts come from if you go to our website qi.com slash 1411 um, you can see all of our sources there just to prove that we didn't make it up yeah. <laughs> and, and a good way of deflecting from the fact that there's not really much more to say about that one <laughs> but on the same page this is a good one only 1% of a tree is actually alive what does that mean? I think it's the bit about the bit at the top is the bit that's growing. It's the weirdest thing this year we were talking about. So there are these trees by Kew Gardens where they painted white lines on them during the blitz so you could see in the dark. Mm-hmm. And 60 years later, it, um, the lines are still in the same place. So it doesn't grow, it doesn't move, the line. Which is why if you carve on a tree like I heart yeah. someone's initials, it'll stay in the same place because it grows from the top. Yeah. And that's where the lines don't move up. The trees grow up, but the trunk, it only grows from the top. Yeah, yeah it's just the percentage of the cells that are, are living cells. Uh, the rest of them are, are dead cells. But I really, one thing I really like about trees is the fact that where they get the stuff that makes it grow, and that comes from the air. There's just something really counterintuitive about that. That as soon as you think about it, it's like, oh yeah, of course I learned that at school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea that it's the photosynthesis, it's the carbon in the carbon dioxide mm-hmm. that makes what a tree is. It's not the stuff from the soil or, or yeah. Whatever. But in contrast to the tree, carrots are still alive when you eat them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Carrots are still alive Carrots when you eat them. You know, I was at Kew Gardens recently, which is so amazing, and it said that tree roots never go down into the ground more than one metre. I don't think that's true. 
They go a lot. Well, kids are going to queue. I know. It's not bizarre. I think they you have made a basic mistake there. I'm sure that there are. Tra- I've seen. I've seen uprooted trees with more than one meter. But they, go, they, 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 they always go out. I think some trees, maybe. Well, no, we'll we'll look into it, but and we'll get back to you and tell you whether or not to cut this out. But <laughs> according to Q, tree roots don't descend more well, than a meter. Well, the other thing is, it's say you had a straw which is um, more than a meter tall, because mm. of the pressure around it, it's impossible to suck water. Mm. Uh, higher than a metre or something like that and the trees have got to carry this liquid yes. flowing through the roots so maybe that's why it is I'm no, just yeah. they're yeah. a guess. I like that I like it they've also got to carry it up the whole tree though right to the top of the tree to the live bit yeah. speaking of roots did you know that the angel of the north goes deep underground than it does high into the air no. by a metre I think yeah. oh, wow. so it's 70 one, let's say, metres high, and it goes 72 metres down because it, it's so it big it and it captures so much wind that it just needs that much. Wow. I'd like if, if the foundations were exactly the same shape as it. Yeah. Just underneath that. <laughs> or just yeah. in a really rude position or something. <laughs> and there are ants underground going, did you know that the Angel of the North is as tall above ground as it is below? <laughs> okay, here's another one. Duckbill platypuses do not have stomachs. Therefore, the question asks, how did duckbill platypuses digest their food it's one of the great mysteries no one's ever seen it happen <laughs> no one's ever they're very sneaky they keep themselves to themselves um, they just they're born and they starve to death <laughs> <laughs> the aim is to breathe before you starve to death yeah, yeah just very slow they, they, very they have a very slow metabolism so they live for years and years and years yeah, they yeah. just don't eat ever yeah. they absorb it so but like, everyone thought that they absorb the it from the air <laughs> Everyone thought that the duckbill platypus was a made-up animal, didn't they, mm-hmm. when it first came? Tried to yeah. call it a beak off. It looks like three animals stuck together. It's yeah. also, um, my, I think this is in one of the earlier fat books, my favourite platypus fact is that, along with the echidna, it's the only mammal that has eggs and milk, so theoretically could make its own custard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's not got a stomach, so it can't enjoy it, but... Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how that would work. I guess there must... What does it eat, a duckbill platypus? Does it go straight to the intestines, yeah, presumably? It has the digestive yeah. system, so yeah. it just digests it differently. It doesn't have a, an area with lots of acid. It doesn't have a holding pen. Yeah. yeah, But it must have acid that breaks it down somewhere. And you would have thought, as soon as you've got something that's breaking down food with acid, then it counts as a stomach. Well, this is the great weirdness of animals in Australia. They are all yeah. mental, aren't they? They're all barking, even on the inside. They're <laughs> completely different. I just want to say this one. I don't know if there's necessarily much we can <laughs> we can go further than the, the actual fact. It stands on its own. But Tutankhamun was the only ancient Egyptian who was mummified with an erect penis. <laughs> James. <laughs> what, what makes you think that that was one of them? <laughs> yeah, I mean, of the ones that we found, I don't know what else to say about that. Didn't he have a broken leg as well? Is that Tutankhamun? That's yeah. no leg. Sorry. <laughs> um, yes, he did. No, I think he, he, did. Di- I think he died yeah. of a leg problem, didn't yeah, he? So he, so he? He hurt his leg and then it went, it went gangrenous or septic. Or... He also had gout, didn't he? For a, for a guy. He was so young. He was, yeah, he lived a rich life. So then his parents were brother and sister, weren't they? That's so true, that, yeah. Yeah. Mm. But it was oh, thought yeah. that, like, if you were the, the son of a brother and sister, you were more godlike in mm-hmm. those days. Um, but I think the suggestion is that they um, mummified his penis at a 90-degree 90, uh, 90 angle to the rest of his body uh, in some kind of strange religious reason behind it. There was thought that after he would die, the new religion would come in and, and take over. So oh. for some reason, this would stop it. Not sad. quite sure how it would start. Yeah, it's much more exciting than Probably just a joke, yeah. <laughs> People will love this in a few thousand years' time. <laughs> All right, okay, that's as much as we can say about that one. The universe is getting less blue and more red. 
Wow. Well, it gets a little I bit more. Heard that one. It gets more blue every time QI does a podcast. <laughs> That's true. Um, this is redshift, presumably. Yeah. Um, so as things move further away, the Doppler effect, um, which is if you hear a uh, car going past, then the change of sound is due to the Doppler effect. And as objects move further away from each other, their wavelength of the light also mm-hmm. changes due to that reason. Uh, and as the wavelength gets bigger, so it becomes more red. So this is on a universal scale. It's not. This is not going to affect yeah. Anna and Andrew's jumpers, for instance. No, it's, it's a, silly. I'm not. Fashionable. It's the reason why the colour of the book is red. Yeah. That's just a natural thing that's happening to the universe. Yeah, the first one was blue. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the book is moving further away from you at all times. Okay, slightly related to that, Martian sunsets are blue. Why is that? Wow. Oh yeah. Oh, again, that'll be due to the refraction of light. I imagine. Yeah. Because, so for instance, the reason that the sky is blue is because when the light comes in, uh, the light refracts um, off the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And as light changes its direction, sometimes it changes its wavelength, and uh, I can imagine that that's why yeah. sunsets are blue on mm-hmm. Mars. As you can tell, there are 1,400 facts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, they've been researched by many different uh, researchers at QI, and you don't always have the answers exactly to hand. Wouldn't it be cool to do a weather report of all the other planets, like all the weather that we know that happens on other planets, which is often really mental, like that planet where it rains glass sideways and stuff. And where is um, that? Is that Saturn? No, 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 that's just a new planet that's recently been discovered. It's oh, okay. way further away, <laughs> uh, and it's just got a name. Its name is a long number. What's the moon? The, um, the one that they landed the lander on of Saturn, where it rains, um, rains methane or something. Oh yeah. Methane. Which one's that? Titan. Titan. Well, oh, this is Ross Noble's Ewoks one. Yeah, yeah, yeah lakes of methane. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean that um, huge storm which is on Jupiter is as soon as you start having that in the in the weather every single day, then the weather bomb that hit UK a few weeks ago means nothing. Yeah, yeah it puts it in perspective, doesn't it? There's no glass coming sideways. Do you not remember the weather bomb? Um, it was probably it depends when this goes out, but it was probably a week or so ago, and um, there was an enormous bit of low pressure that was coming into the UK and was supposed to blow us all sideways, uh, knock us sideways. Yeah, <laughs> and it caused massive waves in the in the north um, west of Scotland. Well, um, but okay. luckily, here in the sheltered world of <laughs> Covent Garden, we didn't get it too badly. Yeah, I, I managed to uh, managed to avoid any any hear of that. Never mind even any of the weather. But um, I, I think. I'm just choosing ones that I that I like without any recourse to whether or not we can actually go any further with it. But there's a 12% chance that a game of Monopoly will go on indefinitely. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty close to 100 around Christmas time. <laughs> hmm. Until someone, someone kicks the board over. Okay, that was done by a computer uh, program. They played thousands and thousands of games of Monopoly on the computer and they found that to a, if you didn't do all your deals that you always do with your little sister to try and get Mayfair, <laughs> For no price at all, then uh, it just goes on forever and ever, and no one ever goes bankrupt. Like real life, sort of, except without recessions. <laughs> except that it doesn't go on forever and ever. Yeah, yeah. the little top hat doesn't die. <laughs> Yeah, they brought in some new pieces, didn't they? Oh yeah, they yeah. brought in. They got rid of iron, oh, a robot and a. Spaceship. Cat. Cat is one of them. Yeah, one of the. Wasn't it a vote from the cat one? The cat one because they had the vote on the internet. Yes. <laughs> that, that's always. Did they just bring in a cat in like some kind of kowtowing to the zeitgeist and yeah, just yeah, saying yeah. everyone loves cats now? No, there was so a vote. They had like. It could be like a they lottery, had a vote or online. Well, then obviously they had a vote online, no and cat came first, and breasts came second. <laughs> <laughs> they got rid of the iron, and I think the old boot, and the dreadnought. 
which is a shame. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, but yeah. nobody ever chose the iron, did they? No one wants the other shoe. No, no. it's a weird iron. selection to begin with, though, because they're not things you will usually find in a group together. Well, it's rich things and poor things, isn't it? So there's the iron and the old boot and the wheelbarrow, which are for the poor, and then there's the top hat and the racing car yeah. and the dreadnought, which are for the rich, and then there's the Scotty dog, yeah, which is for everyone, <laughs> <laughs> just for a laugh. <laughs> Um, cats, black cats are make up something like 70% of cats in cat homes now because people are giving them away to homes or giving them up because they're not as photogenic for the internet. Apparently. I don't. I have read that headline as well. Yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't quite believe it. So there is, there is definitely a predominance of black cats in homes. Wow. It totally is because yeah. I really want a massive grey cat and there are never grey cats on this website. Mm-hmm. Is it true that the. Uh... Not so lucky now, are they? <laughs> <laughs> is it true that they. When you try to get a cat uh, for your home from a home, uh, they won't let you have a black one around Halloween because they're scared that you might do something to it. You might fly on a broom with it. <laughs> <laughs> They've always let me. I've gone through dozens every Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Boiling for apples, you sit with cats. Yeah. <laughs> Who used to fill up, um, when did they used to fill up, like, uh, guys oh, with yeah. cats and then burn them alive? Uh, the Puritans used to do the same. People yeah. who aren't allowed at Battersea Dog and Cats Home. Yeah. <laughs> this is a good Christmassy one. Half the world's population has a genetic mutation that makes Brussels sprouts taste extremely nasty. Oh, yeah. That's what I have, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> That's being a super taster. Did it say half? Yeah, it says half. Oh, really? seems pretty... I think it's lots of children rigging Pretty specific. This, yeah. this is a great fact, because if your parents are trying to make you eat Brussels sprouts, it's basically... Yeah, you can false. say it's genetic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, like it's tasting the bitterness, isn't it? It's the same gene that makes you be able to taste... Uh, like, makes coffee taste really bitter. And and I think if you are a super taster, which is 20% of the population, then uh, they're the people who do find things like that particularly disgusting. Rubbish really super here. Yeah, it's it? not really super, <laughs> is it? If one in five of you has this power. It's but not also, like you super. don't like it. It's not like yeah. you can taste it. <laughs> and identity oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yes that came from so and so like Sherlock Holmes it's, yeah. like, it's like saying oh you've got something rubbish but we're going to yeah. pretend it's nice yeah. all of it's super that's what used to be called being a picky eater is now being a super yeah, that's so <laughs> true. Right, really the police would it. let you like taste a crime scene <laughs> <laughs> I was. I think what happens as well is uh, the reason children don't like Brussels sprouts is because their taste buds mellow over age. So mm-hmm. yeah. people of my advanced years love Brussels sprouts because I can't taste anything anymore. <laughs> well, babies have taste buds all over the inside of their cheeks and inside their throat. You have so many taste buds when you're born and you gradually lose them over the course of your life. Yeah. Catfish are covered in taste buds. Yeah, yeah. giant tons. Yeah. They are. They, they're superhero super tasters. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was reading a wine tasting. There was a wine tasting company in France that tests you to see if you are a super taster. And if you're in that 20%, then you're not allowed to be employed to taste their wine because you have an unnaturally <laughs> acute taste. You'll so you're going to hate stuff yeah. that everyone else they likes. Want representative people, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, the other thing about wine tasting is do you remember that study where they gave people red wine and white wine? And then they asked them to describe what it tasted like. They said that the uh, red wine tasted of like red berries and, you know, a little, sometimes a little bit meaty and whatever. Uh, but it turned out that it was just white wine with food colouring in it. And they were exactly the same wine, but they described mm. them in different ways because of the appearance. Yeah. Was it you, Anna, who was telling me about the jelly taste tests where they had, they had uh, lime jelly and strawberry jelly? Uh, oh, yeah. somewhere and they reverse the colours using food uh, dye mm-hmm. and people thought that the lime and the strawberry flavours were the other way around yeah. which I think is ridiculous and with wine 90% of people they did an experiment I think this is quite recent cannot distinguish between a £10 bottle of wine and a £100 bottle of wine so there's a 50-50 chance that you'll guess one, guess it right or wrong 
90% of people, so it's all nonsense, guys. I think that fact's in this book, isn't it? I think is it? That one. Yeah. But I think if you, yeah. know, if you know it's a hundred pound one, then you probably enjoy it more, isn't it? Exactly, so yeah. If you think it's the expensive one, the good yeah. luck's effect, you go for the better one. I'm John Lloyd, and you're listening to Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. It's the Little Atoms Christmas special and I'm in the QI offices. For the last three months of his life, US President James Garfield had to be fed everything through his anus. This is my first podcast fact. Yeah, it was because he'd been shot and he, so he couldn't eat through his mouth, so he ate through his anus. And what did we find out he ate through it? He um, ate a lot of milk. Milk, uh, eggs, ground beef, I think. But they stopped giving him eggs because it caused offensive flatus. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, yeah something he's else? president of the United States. He yeah. Yeah. He's having the Beef bouillon. Beef bouillon, yeah. yeah. Uh, what was his favourite? His favourite was squirrel soup. Oh, yeah, yeah. he didn't get that. Uh, I think in the last few months of his life, but it was such a, it's such a shame. He had such a short presidency. He was so gifted, and and he ended in that ignominious manner. I know his, doc- his doctor was called Doctor Willard Bliss. Yeah, his, <laughs> Doctor Doctor. <laughs> his first name was Doctor. Amazing, because I think his parents were grateful to the doctor who <laughs> delivered him, <laughs> rather than naming him after the doctor. They named so him like, after the what's profession. What's your name, Doctor? That'll do. But it was really pushy. Like you're going to be a doctor. You've yeah. Choice. Yeah. 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 Hello, uh, Midwife Harrison. Is, <laughs> is there a Midwife Harrison here, please? It's Sounds like his name almost sounds like a joke, doesn't it? Doctor, doctor. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. They used to think champagne was the best thing. I remember reading a medical journal saying that the best thing to put up your anus um, when you're in that state is champagne if you really want to be cured. Really? Yeah, it's good for you. A champagne enema? Champagne enemas, yeah. This is quite luxurious. That's a QI Christmas party (laughs) started. Those are two very French things there, aren't they? Yeah. (laughs) The French elite. (laughs) Maybe they should be the new Monopoly pieces, a French enema kit. Well, we've got about ten minutes of this left. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, just oh bear with us, please. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm going to do is then, I'm, I'm going to ask you all to, to name a favourite one. Oh, oh yeah, I've got one that you like, that you would like. Well, I know one, which I think is one of John's favourites as well, which is that when threatened, a limpet runs away at two inches an hour. I really try hard to catch up with him what was the thing about the Greenland shark as well that Dan Schreiber used to Mm. like that fact that they swim away when uh, when when they're trying to catch their food they swim at one mile an hour uh, and the people who they are going after swim at two miles an hour (laughs) they only eat seals and they can swim faster when you say people yeah (laughs) yes (laughs) no people I think no people have ever been hurt by a Greenland shark Really? Possibly one once, I think. They could just walk Twice away. as many people are killed by vending machines as by sharks. Indeed. Yes. <laughs> the old classic. Andy's and my favourite facts are going to be from the same page. <laughs> oh, I know which one I like. Um, again, I like it because it's about something that's quite normal. Um, and you don't really think about it, but when you hear it, it's like, oh, that's really good. Which is that nachos were invented by a guy called Nacho. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Really yeah. Named by a guy called Ignacio. <laughs> 
and he was known as Nacho yeah, by yes. his friends, and so they named these Nachos after him. It's that's really quite cool, but yeah, like, yeah, like, loads of things are named after the people that invent them, aren't they? But that's not one, not one you would expect. Yeah. Yeah. Doritos were invented in Disneyland, in a restaurant in Disneyland, where one of the chefs by leftover um, ingredients that they needed to make into something, and they made <laughs> something that turned into Doritos. Wow. And in further, was it Mr. Dorito? No, it, was, it wasn't Disney, but it was just a chef, I think. In further um, crisp based facts, the guy who invented the um, Pringles can had his ashes buried in one. And quite his, really, quite that, an iconic achievement. The character has a name, doesn't it? The, the did Pringles I hear things. this on QI um, or on, on one of the podcasts? Commander Pringles. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a fine moustache. Yeah, because you've got a colonel, haven't is. you? You've got Colonel Sanders, and you've. Got, I think there should be more military ranks in snack food. Lieutenant. You know, Uncle Ben was invented by a German guy. Really? Uncle really? Ben's food. The rice? Yeah, and he named it Uncle Ben's to try and sell it to American people. Oh, really? Um, mm. And the idea was that it was a new way of preparing rice, which you would be able to use in war because the weevils couldn't get at it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the opposite to haagen isn't it? Which is a oh, born yeah. and bred American company that's pretending to be from some yeah. kind of Scandinavian ice cream maker. Um, got, right, what do we like? I've got one, page 125, Astronauts' Hearts Become Rounder in Space. Because I, I re- I've just finished reading a book by Mary Roach, and in it it's got all amazing different things that happen to your body in space. My absolute favourite thing that happens to your body is that you lose 20% of your blood if you spend lots of time in space, because uh, because of the lack of gravity, the blood pools in your body, mm-hmm. so there's more of it in the top half, and your body interprets that as there being too much blood, so it slows down production until you lose wow. about 20%, which is amazing. That and is really cool. Yeah, all sorts of really kind of quite boring things happen as well, like your feet become very soft because you're not using them at all. Mm. Um, so all calluses disappear in your feet. But also the top of your feet get really painful because you're constantly hooking around yeah. latches mm. and things and doorways, and so you get these horrible cal- blisters and things on the top and of your feet. And you also feet. constantly feel like you have a cold, and they, they just take decongestants all the time when they're there because of the, the lack of gravity, again, just kind of... Mm. Not just like floats out into the room. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as you another, another one in the book is that if you cry in space, they just pull up in a big puddle under your eyes because it can't run down your face. So if you cry, that's quite handy, though, up. isn't it? Yeah, it's the only one think, you can just it... let them gather for a bit <laughs> and, and then, then wipe it every now and then. But it makes the song, the tracks of my tears, completely yeah, nonsense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they stop understanding it in space. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't um, make any sense. The depth of my tears. Yeah, Parrish and Smith was allergic to the moon. Yeah. That's another fact in the book. We should also say he went to the moon. He went that's, to the moon. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. an astronaut. He, astronaut. Astronaut. he just yeah. knows How that he is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm allergic. Definitely <laughs> that's being a werewolf, isn't it? Being allergic to the moon, in a way. Sort of. Or that's maybe, you're a, maybe you're a super mooner or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, we can't, we can't describe people as werewolves anymore. It's not PC. Oh, they, yeah, they're super. Lumily challenged. <laughs> They should make a space film where, which it just only focuses on all the really irritating stuff that happens to you in space. Like an epic IMAX space film where everyone's just, their tears are blinding them. And they've got a cold. Yeah, they've got yeah. a cold they ca- yeah. and they can't smell Everybody's anything. Yeah. <laughs> you have to blink loads. You have to blink loads because the gravity doesn't pull your eye fluid down. So it's like when you get sleep, when you, when you go to sleep and you get your eyes go all crusty in the morning. Uh, they get that wow. all, the time, all the time, so you have to blink loads, which really sucks. What a pain. Yeah. Oh, I'm never going. It does seem just too much trouble, doesn't it? It yeah. really does. I mean, yeah. it would be amazing to go up space and look down on the Earth and everything, but it's a bloody fuss. It really is. For a weekend, yes, but yeah. to live, woof. Well, for a weekend, you quite likely you'll just be sick the entire time, on and off. Like, there are some astronauts that just develop space sickness after ages in space. For no reason, just because wow. it's so weird being a zero gravity. What's mm. it called? The, the rating? That's a that's a QI thing. Which thing? The guy who did they, they call it 
how sick you are after the person who was sick the most. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. yeah, you're right. Hang on, this is your yeah. ticket. Yeah. 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 It's the vomit comet, isn't it? It's the thing which goes up really, really fast and makes you feel um, like you're in zero gravity. It goes on like a big parabola. And you're right, there was a guy who was sick a heck of a lot, but I can't remember who it was. And so they give you like one to five on the whatever guy's name scale. That's good. Cool. What a way uh, to be remembered. Yeah. <laughs> My favourite fact from the book is that Popeye originally got his strength from rubbing a magic hen. Isn't <laughs> 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 great? Did he have to carry the hen around yeah, with him? Yeah, was it always with him? I suppose... It, I, you know, I've, not, I've not considered it. I suppose it must have been. I mean, what, what if he needed a strength, but he yeah. didn't have his hen with him? Yeah. Yeah. You just say, excuse me, I just need to go home with the hen. It's off to the farm. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it could have been a lot worse, couldn't it? It could have been. It could have been a male chicken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's another wonderful Popeye fact that two of the people who voiced um, Olive Oil and Popeye got married in real life and they had spinach at their wedding. Which is <laughs> wonderful. They should have had, had, ma- yeah, had magic hens. Yeah, <laughs> a magic hen for each person. That would have been something. A talking point, at least. I know if you found Well, I think my favourite fact is that King Harold, after the Battle of Hastings, King Harold's body was identified by the tattoo of his wife's name over his heart. Because again, I dislike the fact that people were getting tattoos of their wife's names, you mm. know, mm. a thousand years ago. It's amazing. Who was that king who had Death to King tattooed on him? Oh, yes. Oh, I love him. Who was it was one of that? the Swedish kings, Gustav? Yeah. I think Gustavus been. Adolphus. Was, did he, how, did, he come, did he become king by accident? I thought so. Otherwise, he's or... just really insecure. Was he just like, guys, I'm really embarrassed <laughs> about it, this. Yeah. yeah. Was, was it a know. deliberate tattoo? Was it like when you people stick notes on your back? Did someone just tattoo? Death to king. Oh, I'll have to never saw it. If he's to the throne, then he says death to a king. Yeah. Then he becomes king. So, in a way, that would be logical. He wants that king, enough kings to die that he gets the throne but not and once you're king after you could have it adjusted couldn't you death to yeah. other kings yeah. no death yeah. to kings yeah. <laughs> death to kings of other countries yeah. is it Sweden where I think it is Sweden where we're on something like Gustav the 16th now but the first nine and I've got the numbers wrong here but the first eight or nine kings were fictional are just yeah. written up in their um, <laughs> like fictional history so actually there have only been about ten Gustavs but they're officially yeah, they're from the sagas weren't they yeah Go and then, like, Gustav, the, let's say Gustav VIII came along and he wanted to be called Gustav and he couldn't really be called Gustav I because that was already a famous fictional king, so he had to yeah. start with nine. That's so funny. There's already been one with my name. But there's um, Pope John the 20th didn't exist, that was an admin error. And they thought the next one was the 21st, yeah. but actually he should have been the 20th. No, we've gone too far now, we'll just keep going. Incredible mistake <laughs> to make. Yeah. 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 It's like if you wanted to become king of England and you were called Ralph. And you're like, well, I can't be called King Ralph because there's a movie of that name, so mm. I'm going to have to be Ralph the <laughs> Second. Don't, don't all the Scottish kings really mess it exactly up? Exactly like that. <laughs> you're called Kong. <laughs> or Burger. <laughs> there is a guy called Burger who is... Uh, Wesley. What, yeah, Wesley Burger, who's like something like 250th in... Oh, yeah. Year, and he works in a restaurant in America, and he's come down from Imagine knowing you were 250th in line to the throne. How does that happen? How, do you, how do you discover that? Somebody online did all the research. Oh, yeah, online. rival genealogists. And they've traced the last person in line to the throne as well, who's a woman living in Germany, I think in about her 40s. The and last person? What? So it's all seven. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not, they, they've calculated the last that woman 
on Earth. Yeah. All the yeah. families, yeah, all the families which do have a claim to the throne. Mm-hmm. And it's a, she's about 5,000 places down the pecking it's order. Like, bad news, everyone on Earth apart from you has died. How far at the back of the cathedral she's sitting? <laughs> So I wonder how far you'd have to go back then, because if that's 5,000, I would have thought that 5,000 people back, yeah. all of us were in line for this, right? Yeah, well, yeah. We're all happens. related to Charlemagne, kind of fact, as well. Yeah. So, so. I suppose there are more toffs going around than they let on in their papers or in their documentaries. Yeah. <laughs> you imagine the size of Hello magazine. <laughs> 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 what was... I, I heard this vaguely on the Today programme the other day, but haven't they just made some kind of genealogical discovery which shows that actually Queen Elizabeth is an illegitimate queen because they've found out, they've proven that someone had an affair somewhere along well. the line? <laughs> so the idea is they found, um, supposedly proven now, that Richard III's bones are Richard III's. Yeah. And they They've proven it mitochondrially, which means through the um, through the female line, uh, these people who were related, to, who are supposedly related to him, are related to him. But on the male line, there's a break, so they think that somewhere there must have been an illegitimate child that we don't know about. Oh, finger pointing, yeah, Queenie, get out. <laughs> That's a nice note to end the podcast. Yes. <laughs> a good point to take into the Christmas edition of the podcast. <laughs> the Queen's speech. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've been talking about the, the latest QI Facts book, which is 1411 QI Facts to Not You Sideways. And I've been talking to James Harkin and also to Anne Miller, Andrew Hunter Murray, Anna Chudinsky, and Alex Bell. So, everybody, thank you very much for. Uh, Thanks. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. You've been listening to Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. This episode of Little Atoms was produced and presented by Neil Denny and was broadcast on Resonance 104.4 FM. You can find the Little Atoms podcast on iTunes and you can follow the show on Twitter at Little Atoms. If you'd like to donate a little money to support the show, you can do so at littleatoms.com. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.